Scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. That is Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. I'll be reading from the New International Version. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It's good to see everybody here tonight, tonight, this morning. It'll be good to see everybody tonight as well. Looking forward to that. Kenny mentioned in his prayer that we just finished an elder preacher retreat Friday and Saturday. And I wanted to let you know that this is an annual event. If you're a new member, if you haven't been here for long, then you need to know that this is an annual event and we come together and we reflect on the past year. And then we also reflect or we look forward to and we plan on plan some things for the, for the coming year. But one of the first things that we did when we got there, we sat down and we prayed. And we prayed for every single member in the directory and their children. Every single member. It took a while. It was very touching. And as we went through and names were named, prayers were offered up on your behalf. It was a special time. And y'all are special people. And so I hope and pray that you know how loved you are by your elders and by us. There are life-changing words that we have heard throughout our lives. Wonderful words that we've heard like, wake up. It's the first day of school. That's always a good one. Changes your life. First day of school. Happy 16th birthday. Yes. After the question, will you marry me, is, is asked. Yes. is a life-changing, wonderful word. You're going to be a father. Wonderful words. You're going to be grandparents. Wonderful words. You're going to have twins. Wonderful words. You're going to have more twins. Great Jesus. In the greatest case, wonderful words. And so we're going to, this morning we're going to be looking at some words which eternally changed a man. The cross. About, if you think about this, the cross is where the greatest love and the greatest power came together. And something miraculous happened, something amazing happened, something that would change the world happened. Perspectives. There were two criminals, two thieves on that cross. Perspectives are interesting things. When I was a kid, I would see an airplane in the sky and I would have to look up and I watched it when I was a kid from the time that I could see it until I couldn't see it anymore. 
And one time, for a while, we lived near an Air Force base, and I wasted a lot of time. It's fascinating to me. And then when I got old enough to fly in planes and, and it, that happened, it was even more fascinating because the perspective changed. Instead of looking up and seeing this little plane, I was now looking down and seeing the world. Because as an individual standing underneath the sky and watching this plane, the, the people in the plane couldn't see me, but my perspective changed once I get, got up there. Standing on a stage... It's an interesting perspective as I stand here and I look at you. But sitting down, even especially on the front, you don't realize how many people there are in the auditorium until you get up in front of them. Sometimes it's intimidating. Sometimes Anthony's nodding his head. It is. You don't realize what it looks like in, in, to, to be in front of the audience if you've always sat in the audience, and that's perfectly fine. The perspective. But what about the cross? There was a crowd, a large crowd, and they're watching Jesus be crucified, and they're underneath him, and they're looking up at this cross, and that's their perspective. But there were a couple of men whose perspective were totally different. Instead of looking up at Jesus on the cross, they looked over. Instead of looking up at the cross, they looked down at the crowd. And those two men, had both had an opportunity to have a life-changing and eternal-changing experience. But there were two men. We read in Matthew 27 and Mark 15, 27 and Luke 23, uh, Matthew 27, 38, Luke 23, 32 and 33. Two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right, one on the, le on the left. Jesus is in the middle. Two criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, verse 33 of Luke 23 says, they were crucified with him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the, other, one on the left. That's Luke 23. Hopefully you're still there. That was the reading from this morning that, that was just Jim just read. Luke chapter 23. And we're going to be talking about these men. We're going to be talking about, about the opportunity that both of them had. You know, those men had some bad news that day. That day they had the news that today is the day that they will die, that they will be crucified. Some translations call them thieves. Some, some versions, uh, accounts call them criminals. Whatever the And some call them, refer to them as being zealots or... or um, you might think of them as, as people who just stirred up strife but, but broke the law. Luke 23, 39 and 43, there's an account. One of the criminals, they were hang, hanging there, blaspheming them. And here's what he said. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. He's blaspheming. He, he's accusing Jesus of not being who he is. He's lying. Literally means blasphemy means lying about something. And there he's lying about he's he's goading Jesus. He's mocking him. If you are the Christ, save yourself. Why was Jesus up there? It was confusing. I, I think it would have been confusing to the people who have been following him for years. People understood. If people understood those prophecies in the Old Testament, his suffering wouldn't 
have been a wouldn't have been confusing. David is quoted in Acts 4, 25 through 26. And the situation is, the context is that Peter and John had been preaching. And they've been preaching in the synagogue. And they've been preaching in front of the Jewish leaders. And they were perceived as men who had no formal education. But they were speaking so eloquently. And then they're told to stop preaching by the by by the Jewish leaders, stop preaching Jesus. And then they got together and they praised, they raised their voices in Acts chapter 4, and they said this, your servant David have said, uh, why did the nations rage? Why the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. Should have known. David wrote that, the words of David. Let's go over to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. Talking about the Christ. Talking about Jesus' suffering. Talking about this whole ordeal that he will go through. Describing him. In 3 through 5 of Isaiah 53. He is, listen, he is despised. Hated. And rejected by men. He is a man of sorrows. He is acquainted. He knows grief. And we hid it. As it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He was hated, in other words. And we did not raise him up to the proper place that he deserved to be. This Christ. Surely... Verse 4, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, our sins, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. Notice this phrase. Back in Acts chapter 4, I read it. Notice this phrase, why did the nations rage? That word rage is an interesting word. It has to do, most of the time it would have to do with horses. Why did the nations rage? Why did they stomp their feet? Why did they snort with their nostrils? And why did they look down their noses to dis, to to? To rage. See, we think of rage as just being enraged and just going off and, and screaming. And But these people were upset, yes, but they were looking down on Jesus, looking down their noses. Who were those people who raged? Who were those people who sneered? Who were those people who looked down their noses? Let's talk about some of them. Let's go over to Luke 23. Luke 23. And we're going to look at several scriptures in Luke 23, starting at 4. But, but who were the people who sneered, looked down on him, mocked him? Who were they? Well, we start with Pilate. We start with Pilate. And we see in, in verse 4 that Pilate said, 23-4, Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, Jesus is before Pilate. 
and he has he, he is looking him over and he's trying to decide what he's going to do with Jesus. Pilate has control. He has power. He can decide his fate. And he says, I find no fault in this man. True. Great. Look at 14 and 15. He said to them, you brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, after having examined him in your presence, notice what he says, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you can accuse him. No. And then he says, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Rightly so, Pilate. You know what's going on. You know who this man is. You know how he is. And you know that he is innocent of the things that people have been, have been accusing him of. Look at 22. Look at 22. And he says, why, why, why kill him? What evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go, which he will. And 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Good job realizing this, Pilate. Great job. You recognize this man is an innocent man. But then notice what happens in Luke 19 20, through 20. Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. What was he doing? He was looking down his nose. He was sneering at him. The, then 20, then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And the Jewish leaders hated that. But Pilate, it seems to me that he was mocking Jesus. You say that you're the king of the Jews? Let's put a sign up there. So that everyone will see that you're hanging on a cross, the king of Jews. So that's Pilate. Let's look at the soldiers. Let's go to Matthew chapter 27. The soldiers were sneering. The soldiers were raging. The soldiers were looking down their noses at Jesus as well. Matthew 27, 27 through 31 Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. He's surrounded by sold Roman soldiers. And what do they do? They strip him, put a scarlet robe on him. In other words, they're mocking him. They're sneering at him. They're raging at him as that word would be used in this sense. Then they twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head to humiliate him and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him and said, Hail King, hail Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then they spat upon him and took the reed, struck him on the head. We always just think, well, they, they whacked him on the head. What does he have on his head? He has a crown of thorns. And they, it's already hurting him, but they just drove it into his head. And they were mocking and hurting. And when they had mocked him, verse 20, 31 says, they took the robe off of him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. 
They were ruthless. They were ruthless. Some more scripture, 23, 36, and 7. The soldiers also mocked him. In addition to the crowd, in addition to the Jewish leaders, we're going to look at in just a few moments. They mock him and offer him sour wine or wine with gall in it and saying, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. If you're king of Jews, get yourself down there. If you're the king of Jews, you're going to have, you're going to have influence. Just tell him, take, your, take me off the cross. But that doesn't happen. He is mocked. He is raged against by the soldiers. He's raged against by the rulers. Luke 23, 36 and 37. And we're getting close to that area that we already read. But, and the people stood looking. But even the rulers, here comes that word, sneered at him saying he saved others. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Was he? Absolutely. Was he innocent? Sure. Pilate recognized that, but he sneered at him. The soldiers sneered and raged at him. And now the rulers are his own people. And notice this. People were just passing by. And Matthew 27, 39 through 40. And those who passed by blasphemed him. What did they say? They wagged their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple. And Jesus had talked about that. You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. And then again, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Use your power. And he doesn't. He doesn't. Do that. So the rulers, the people passing by, and the religious leaders. We go back to Matthew 27. And we just read scripture from 39 to 40, but now we're going to look at 41 through 43 of Matthew 27. You have the rulers. You have the people passing by. And then here you have the chief priests mocking him with the scribes, with the elders, and they say he saved others but himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if we, he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. I am the son of God. Let's go over to the 22nd Psalm as we think about the religious leaders, the priests and the scribes and and. We have a psalm of David, verse 6 through 8. And he makes a statement, and it's an amazing, powerful statement. He starts out by saying, but I am a worm and no man. I am a reproach for, of men and despised by the people. All who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head. They wag their head, saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Is this familiar? Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So those are the religious leaders. Those are the, his own people. Those are the Roman soldiers who are sneering and mocking. That's Pilate as well. And finally, the robbers, Matthew 27, 44. Even, now listen closely because this is important to me and maybe it might be to you. Notice 27. Um, through 40, 27 verse 44, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him, saying the same thing. 
How many were there as far as we know? Now, this is a plural, robbers. But as far as we know, we have three people being crucified as far as we know and what we understand. Even the robbers. In other words, it's coming from everybody. It's coming from everybody. Why would there be so much detail in this? Why would it be so much information letting us know all the way from Pilate, all the way down to those people and those men hanging on the, on the cross next to Jesus on each side? Why would it be so detailed? I want you to look at a few scriptures, Hebrews 12, 3, and notice this. Think about this in context. Why would it be so detailed? For consider him, consider Jesus, you see that capital H, that's Jesus, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, the sinless, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You want to go on as a Christian. You want to fight on. You want to make it through this life. And life isn't going to be easy. So what do you do? You contemplate Christ. You think about Christ. Consider him. Consider him. Another motive or another reason for the detail in all of this, 1 Peter 2.21, you were called because Christ who suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus walked in, amaz in an amazing way, took an incredible path, and his feet, his feet went to beautiful places and it went to some ugly places. And wherever he went, he did beautiful, amazing things. You should follow his steps. So we go back up to the cross. We have all these people sneering and raging at him and all these different kinds of people. In fact, everyone who was around him seemed to be mocking him. And then we have two men up on the cross on the side and we go back to that conversation. In Luke chapter 23, we go back to the jumping off point and we look at the wonderful words of life that Jesus said, that Jesus gave to this man, the criminal on the cross, the criminal on the cross. And so here we have it again. Here we have it again. And he says an amazing thing to, to this man. He says... Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly, he says, some translations, today, right now, in just a little while, we are hanging here, and yes, we are dying, but just in a little while, you, you will be with me in paradise. What got him into the situation that he would get to go to paradise with Christ? He said, notice this statement that he makes in verse 42. Lord, remember me. That's great. That makes sense. Lord, he's acknowledging him now as Lord. Remember me. And notice this phrase. Uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He acknowledged who Jesus was. He acknowledged what Jesus was, the king of the Jews, the king of the kingdom. And these are wonderful words. These are words that only Jesus could utter. And these are words that only Jesus could follow through with. And these are words that we need to understand now. Is it possible that Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise? Well, we've got to understand what paradise is. 
And I don't know if we have time to explain this, but Jesus went to paradise with this man. Did he go to heaven? Scripture says that he ascended to heaven after he was here on the earth for a while, appearing to the apostles and teaching them and preparing them for the church to be established. He ascended to heaven. But in the meantime, after he died, he said, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, how could this be? Mark 2 and Luke 7 and 19. Jesus has this power on the earth to forgive. And no one else has this power to forgive sins. Now, we can forgive people who have wronged us if they ask. And, and we can forgive them because we have to have that heart to do, to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But Jesus could forgive sin. We can't, but Jesus could. We need to understand that. How can this be possible for this man to hear these wonderful words while he's dying on the cross? Because Jesus has the power to forgive sin. And then the, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, his law or his new law or his new, his, his new covenant doesn't come into play until after his death. Hebrews 9, 16 and 17. A new covenant, a covenant can't be uh, a testament can't be put in place until after the testator dies, and then Jesus dies, and his new testament is put into play. And so today we're responsible to live under the new covenant. It is in force, and we live by its conditions, and we have it. Starting in Acts 2, 37 and 38, we realize and we understand what the stipulations are, but we too can go be with Jesus for forever. Why he has the power to forgive sins. Why he died for our sins. Why he laid it out. That what we need to do in order to get to heaven. What God's will is. And so we were responsible to live under that covenant. And we were responsible to live like people whose sins have been forgiven. Because of the blood of Christ. Because of us doing the will of God. Us choosing. That man. On our side hanging on the cross, choosing to acknowledge him as the king of the kingdom, the king of his kingdom, the king of not just the Jews, but our king as well, our king as well. Jesus' wonderful words in 43. Okay, this is an interesting picture to me, and maybe to you too. These kids have marshmallows. And one is looking at the other, thinking, are you going to do it? And the other is looking at, at, at the, other, the other marshmallow, are you going to do it? What, what, what are they trying to do? What are they trying not to do? The Stanford Marshmallow Test. It was a test in the 60s and 70s. And they put children, they put little children into ages four to six as subjects. They're led into a room and they're offered a treat. And, they, and they're told that they could eat the treat but they could choose to eat the treat right then. But if they waited 15 minutes without giving in to the temptation, they would be rewarded with a second treat. The man running the, running the experiments, he, he saw some of the things that they would do. They would cover their eyes with their hands so they couldn't see the temptation. They would turn around, turn their backs to they couldn't see the tray. And others started kicking at things. And girls started tugging on their hair, trying to get them to make the right choice and choose, choose the better, make the better decision. You know, over 600 
kids were involved in this experiment. Over 600. A minority ate the marshmallow immediately. Some of them, a lot of them tried to delay. One third of them deferred gratification. In other words, they didn't eat the marshmallow so they can get more marshmallows. But listen to this. The ones who made the decision, the good decision, the better decision, they followed them as they grew up. They found that the children who were able to wait longer, they got, for the larger reward, they got better ACT, uh, SAT scores. They went to higher education levels than the others. Actually, they were also in better shape than the others. They were benefited for the rest of their lives and their being benefited because of the way that they made a good choice, a good decision. When we make the better choice and we are offered this choice at all times, choose Jesus or turn our backs on him. To choose Jesus and acknowledge him as, as our king or turn our back on him and, and blaspheme and, and, and claim that he's not who he says he is. We need to make that better choice and we need to choose Jesus. We need to acknowledge him as the king of his kingdom, as the criminal on the cross did. And once we make that good decision, we will look forward to the best reward that we can think of. And that's getting ourselves to heaven through Jesus' blood as forgiven sinners. And so the wonderful words of life were today, today. You're not going to die physically. You will live. You will live with me for eternity. I'm Christians, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time at different, different points in my life trying to live like I have chosen the king. And there are times when I'm, when I'm ashamed. I'm disappointed in myself. There are times when I struggle mightily. And I can't imagine, and I, you can't convince me that I'm the only one who goes through these struggles of various kinds. And if I don't at that point, when in my weakest points, look at Jesus and choose him as my king, admit that I'm a sinner, acknowledge him as king, and then ask him, can I go to heaven with you and take advantage of his offer to get us there? If we're not living like that, we need to repent. We need to change things. We need to challenge ourselves to be different. You don't necessarily have to come forward to ask for prayers. A lot of people write prayer requests on their, on their uh, membership attendance cards. You, you don't have, even have to ask anyone for forgiveness but God and then start living like you've been forgiven. If you're a Christian and need to repent, it's a challenge. To examine yourself and decide, here, are, here is where I've been letting God down and choose Jesus again. But if you're not a Christian and you understand what you need to do in order to become one, you understand that Jesus has to forgive sin. You understand what you need to do in order to follow his will that is laid out in the scriptures, how to become a Christian, how to become someone whose sins are forgiven, how to become someone who has, who can look toward God and Enjoy the hope that they have that they will be in heaven forever.
So if, you, if you're in that situation, you know what you need to do, let us know and we will joyfully go through that process of helping you to become one in Christ. If there are any needs that can be met by coming forward, let us know now as we stand and as we sing.